This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Well, hello and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Bobsled Marketing. And today I do have a guest joining me in a moment to talk about retail media and the current landscape and what it's going to look like out there in the future as brands navigate many more retail media channels than they do now. That's my personal viewpoint. And I want to get into a little bit of background on that on this episode. And I'll also bring along for a discussion, a special guest today as well. So I'll introduce him in a second, but I want to talk about, I want to set the stage for retail media networks and and platforms and my sort of thesis on what's going on here and what's going to happen in the future. So I'll share a little bit of background, some great analysis from Kearney around retail media spend. And so this is ad spend on retail media platforms and networks like Target's Retail Media Network and Amazon PPC and DSP and Walmart and CVS, all of these retailers operating their own networks or using a retail media network like Citrus or Critio. So Kearney's estimates are that retail media spend will go from an estimated four to five billion in 2019, four to five billion dollars. And Forrester also has done some analysis on this and and estimates $5 billion in retail media spend in 2020. So around the same, pretty stagnant to growing to in 2024 from around 5 billion now to 15 to 20 billion in 2024. So that's sort of tripling or quadrupling that ad spend amount in the space of three years. So pretty incredible growth. And first question is, why is that the case? Why are, why are brands and potentially non-endemic brands like car companies or insurance companies or banks, why are they going to be spending so much more on retail media in the future? Well, I've got sort of four reasons. One is the rise of e-commerce. This is the obvious one. I'm not going to to preach to the converted on this one. E-commerce is growing as a percentage of sales. More demographics are purchasing online with the catalyst of the, the pandemic. And also I think there's more and more of an understanding, particularly with enterprise brands, the incumbents, of this concept of digitally influenced sales. And yeah, we we recognize there's a halo effect between sales channels and between retail media networks and online and offline sales channels. And we've got no real perfect way of measuring that. We understand that it's happening and we understand that consumers are using many different touch points before they actually purchase. Some of that's online and some maybe offline as well. So digitally influenced sales, I think we'll get better at tracking that. But just in general, yes, e-commerce is is a bigger deal than it has been in the past. So more dollars are going to be flowing there. Second point to back this 
retail media spend growth up is retail media has a great ROI. Just speaking anecdotally, Amazon PPC is is one of the best performing return on ad spend that brands I speak to are able to get out there in the world of, of paid media, even as CPCs go up. So retail media has a great ROI and we also understand, again, this sort of halo effect that you might be spending on an ad campaign on Amazon, but then you also see sales increase on your D2C site or in, in, in store sales. So that's another point that is becoming more widely understood this the fact that retail media has a great ROI it's very trackable and there's a halo effect that's often observed third point is CPGs have begun shifting trade fund trade marketing and investments from other marketing channels so again and I'll link up to this Kearney article which is very good some more analysis based on a study by Cadent in 2020 and 2021 talks about how brands are actually allocating their trade budget, digital, traditional spend, which is brand and shopper marketing and how those, you know, when you put all of those into a bucket, where are brands, how are brands dividing that bucket up between those four categories and how are they going to conceivably break it up in the future. And so what this analysis found is that trade marketing is expected to fall by five points, while digital spend will be up six points. And traditional spend or brand brand marketing and shopper marketing will stay broadly in line with what they've been in the past. So we might be talking about the same amount of marketing budget, but digital is going to be the preferred destination for those marketing dollars ahead of trade. So, and and then the fourth piece, which I'm going to put my hand up and say, I need to learn more about this, but it's about the deprecation of the third party cookie. And although that's been delayed for a little bit, retailer ad platforms sort of provide a little bit of an antidote to that in, in some ways. And I definitely want to have someone on the show to speak speak to that a little bit more so that we, we can all get educated a bit more about it. I certainly want to. And so what we're seeing is much more interest in retail media as a channel, both for endemic brands that sell products online and non-endemic brands that sell services or things that can't really be bought online, advertising on places like Amazon. As a result, we've seen some activity in the market recently, Publicy acquiring Citrus Ad, which is a retail media network that's being widely used by grocery retailers in particular, and Instacart continuing to double down on their ad platform, the fact that their new CEO is a has a very strong advertising background. These are all the reasons why I really believe that retail media is going to be a bigger and bigger part of advertising budgets and also that there's going to be more fragmentation here as more retailers look to set up their own retail advertising platform or leverage retail media networks like Citrus or Critio to to roll that out in the interim. So that's my background on the the space, my perspective on all of this, and I'm bringing on a, a fabulous guest who have had the pleasure of collaborating with over the last six months 
six or 12 months and can speak from a brand perspective. And that is my good friend, Dean McKelvey. So Dean, if, if you don't already follow him on LinkedIn, he's a great follow. Dean is the Director of International E-Commerce Strategy, Global Tools and Storage for the Stanley Black & Decker Company. His role covers Latin America, Europe, Middle East, Asia, New Zealand, some of the fastest growing and most penetrated e-commerce markets in the world. During his career, Dean has gained expertise in retail e-commerce, B2B e-commerce, and direct-to-consumer, as well as developing new and disruptive business models. With more than 18 years of experience as a commercial leader, he has a remarkable track record of designing and implementing innovative growth strategies that not only drive performance, but also higher engagement and profit. Dean has successfully led business initiatives across sales leadership, retail consulting, and e-commerce. However, working in Africa, Europe, and across multiple other regions gives him a unique insight into working with countries in various stages of business and e-commerce development. So welcome to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast, Dean. Thank you, Kerry. Thanks very much for having me on the show. We were just talking before we started recording that we've been trading ideas and feedback on various things for at least the last six months. And this is the first time we've spoken. So I'm, I'm really thrilled to be speaking with you today about a topic I know that you've thought long and hard about. Yeah, absolutely. Retail media is such a such a passion of mine. And I think it's such an interesting space, how it's evolving and how the retailers are putting a lot more emphasis on it nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is where in the thick of a lot of announcements around retail media, a lot of players getting into the space and brands really grappling with the relationships that they have with retailers and the fact that they're being asked to pony up for various media initiatives and looking to rationalise what they're doing from a paid standpoint. So a couple of recent events that have happened, one, the Citrus ad network was recently acquired by Publicy and this is big news. Citrus is a network that spans across a number of different retailers. We also have some of these last mile delivery platforms using Citrus or Critio or other networks and potentially building their own. And amongst this backdrop, brands are also trying to figure out how do we get to our customer? How do we build a better view of, of who our shopper is and where they are and, and reach them where they are actively researching and transacting? So I guess my first question for you and good jumping off point for this discussion is, do you see us moving towards a reality where brands are required to manage a dozen or more retail media platforms? I think so, yes. I think a couple of things are happening. One is I think the retailers who a lot of the manufacturers work with are facing quite a lot of financial pressure. Online shopping has grown and that's start, impacted the PL. It was a, a great piece of work actually that, that you co-authored on e-commerce profitability. And the retailers' pressure on profitability is looking is is meaning that they're trying to get revenue from other sources, and obviously, advertising revenue is hugely profitable. And the relationship that they have with the manufacturers means that they can easily go after that. So, I think the retailers are are pushing it 
a huge amount. I think the other part of it is that the relationship that the ad networks have is being challenged with the fragmentation of media. So yeah, if, if you're a brand owner, where do you put your, your dollars and where do you place the right bets? It's becoming increasingly hard to do that. And the retailers offer a, a, a great platform. And they also offer an additional benefit in that the retailers are one of the few mediums in the landscape that offer closed loop attribution or where I do an advertising activity and then I can check the sales impact of that. And as the retailers get more sophisticated with that, it becomes a lot more attractive for brand owners. So I think what you're seeing is a combination of retailers transforming their capabilities but also brand owners having to follow this. And, and that's going to mean that brands are going to have to work with every type of retailer from a Walmart through to a Costco, through to a Sam's Club. And they're also going to merge, have to merge that with their typical media buying network. So I think you're seeing a, a huge amount of fragmentation in that space. Yeah, I'd love to double click into that concept of the closed loop attribution that you mentioned, what's preventing us from getting there right now? Nothing really. I think it depends on the retailer's analytical capabilities. Often, you know, if you look at somebody like Amazon, they, they've got great analytical capabilities. I think it's more of a maturity aspect with the balance of the retailers not really having that great analytical capability. Of the ones I've seen around the world that, that do seem to have a better capability of this, it's Amazon's probably one of, one of the leaders in this space, followed not too far behind from with Walmart. And then the other one, which is quite interesting, is the Dunhumby side of things with Tesco. They've done a really quite a good job of trying to work out the impact both online and offline of campaigns that you run with them. So I think it's more of a maturity stage and that's partly the retailer's own internal capabilities, but also manufacturers pushing them. Manufacturers need to ask for this kind of data so that they can get results from the campaigns that they're running. Hmm. That's interesting. Two things I want to click into there. Manufacturers need to demand these capabilities to justify ad spend sounds perfectly reasonable. But what I'm also hearing from some brands is that there's sort of an expectation with some retailers to invest in their retail media platform or co-op or some, some form of paid marketing activity just to keep the relationship fair. For, for lack of a better term. So there's sort of like this inbuilt, what have you done for me? <laughs> what have you done for me lately? You're a manufacturer. You want to stay in the good graces of a retailer. And there's a certain amount of pressure that they feel under to actually invest, whether that is explicit or implicitly stated. And so the retailer doesn't really need to try that hard to actually create a, a great retail media network. They just need to sort of have that explicit or implicit threat around inventory being carried for for that brand if they put some marketing dollars in. Yes, I think I think that's absolutely fair. I've I've seen that quite a bit. Retailers see this as a pot of money that they have access to and 
And because they have the power and the relationship of being able to delist or list brands, that it could be a leverage that, that quite a few retailers use. And they certainly do use that. I think the big thing for the manufacturers is to make sure that all the money that you're paying, that you get some form of performance from that money. I think also this is the challenge for manufacturers about how they go to market. Typically, manufacturers are normally, you know, it's that old divide between sales and marketing in an organization. So the sales guys are doing the negotiation and the marketing People aren't aware that even that those contracts have been entered into for retail media. So it's about how organizations come together and work with retailers to get the best outcome. Yes, that's such a good point and something that's come up with a lot of the work that the Digital Shelf Institute's been doing, some of which I've been involved with. It's really with the profitability in e-commerce, which was a report that I authored with the Digital Shelf Institute and some separate work that was done sort of in parallel around total growth accountability. The big take-home point is the way that a lot of companies are structured organisationally in these marketing versus sales silos means there's really no chance to collaborate on those, those outcomes when the sales people are incented differently to marketing and different parts of the relationship are held for example with with instacart the sales team the sales department is in control of the inventory availability but the marketing team is controlling ad dollars and it just doesn't really work that way so it's a great point to bring it back to these challenges that a lot of companies are facing because of their traditional org charts yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, our typical organizations have been set up to do a couple of things. One is to streamline media and get media and communication out. And then from a sales perspective, it's really designed around doing one thing, which is taking a whole lot of products and pushing it through a very small funnel, which is the retailers. And then the retailers activate with the consumers and the retailers and the consumer relationship. And we've really set up our businesses to do that. And I think that's the great thing about e-commerce and particularly areas like D2C, where it's challenging the way we go to market and the way we we behave in organizations and who we're focusing on. Are we focusing on the retailer or are we focusing on the, the end user or the shopper or the consumer, which is probably where we should all have been focusing more all along. I love that. That's my quotable quote of the episode so far. Are we focusing on the retailer or are we focusing on the shopper? Great point. You mentioned in passing some work that Dunhumby and Tesco are doing to track the impact online and offline of campaigns. Are you able to speak a little bit more about that? I'm not familiar with that work. Absolutely. So I think one of the advantages that Tesco has over other retailers is that it runs a loyalty program. So what it allows it to do is stitch together the in-store behavior as well as the on-platform behavior. So as soon as you log on to a website or you visit their website and you see various advertising materials or you click on but you don't add to cart on their platform, they can tie that together with your in-store behavior. And therefore, they can attribute the sales of the campaigns to both from the online world to the offline world. 
And so often they can tell you that the campaign you launched had sort of 80% of its sales generated online, but another 20% offline. So it's that sort of full research online, purchase offline, or ROPO effect that they can measure. Well, that's terrific. And I'm guessing that with the loyalty program at Tesco, it's such that people who shop there, if they are members, they're they're always using their membership to make that purchase. Absolutely. The the Tesco program is really well developed. So I think about 85% of their total sales go through on the card. So they can track 85% of their sales back to the card directly. Obviously, there would be small basket purchases which aren't. You know, the likes of a, a cool drink might not be picked up, but the, the last, vast majority of the large basket shops are picked up. Got it. That's really fascinating. What do you think, obviously, Amazon and Costco are the ones that I think of, the, the retailers I think of that have very well-developed retail loyalty programs, and Amazon It's a whole other kettle of fish as it pertains to sharing data out. But, but something that they've done that they're moving towards, which is interesting, is tracking at least in DSP, the demand-side platform, media network, offline activity in Whole Foods as well. So there's a common thread there, and I wonder if some other retailers might end up going down that route as well to, to be able to prove out the efficacy of, of digital media to advertisers. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Early on in my career, I worked for MasterCard and you'd often think about why would MasterCard be interested in retail loyalty programs, but they, they got quite involved in retail loyalty programs. And the idea behind that is just tying all these data points together and making sure that you can offer the right information so the right solutions to your shoppers. And I think the more data you can get about people's behavior, you can generate very accurate behavior-based segmentations. And the fascinating thing about that is then you can focus on what is the behavior you want from people rather than the behavior you have. You know, the great thing, if you look at something like Amazon and various of the other platforms, a lot of the suggestions may be on stuff you already have. But if you get a a more complete view of that shopping behavior, both offline and online, you can focus more on what people don't have or what you would like them to have next. And that's really a powerful thing that they're doing. It's quite interesting if you look at the marketplace platforms, particularly the likes of Mercado Libra in Latin America, they've all set up these big financial services sectors with their own card divisions. And there's obviously a fantastic amount of data there tracking where else people shop apart from on the platform. Now, that then gives them the opportunity to look at what they are offering as services and verticals within their platform and make sure that they service them better because the spend is going elsewhere. As we look out to this scenario where we've got potentially a lot of retail media platforms that a brand is going to need to manage, obviously depending on the size of the company, some are going to be more well-equipped to deal with that than others. What sort of downstream effects do you see from this fragmentation of online digital media? 
There are probably two or three that I think we should really focus and hone in on. The first is the capabilities inside organizations and the way they're structured. So typical org, org design means that you'd have a brand team and you'd have a digital marketing team within that. And that digital marketing team would focus very much on the sort of own paid and earn side of things. And they'd really be experts in that space. And they're going to increasingly have to look at how can you use that capability in an organization to both do that paid earned and earn space as well as the retail media. They're going to need to be experts in both. And the reason for that is you're going to need to have a joined up experience, whether it's on a retailer platform or on your paid, your owned or earned, you're going to need to have a cohesive experience that you're trying to work with rather than letting it sit outside of the sales team. So I think that's the first big impact. I think the second one is the analytics side of this. Organizations like yourselves do fantastic analytics. It's whether the manufacturers are able to process that and make better decisions from that. And so there's this two things there. There's the capability of an organization to do that and the culture in the organization about using analytics to make better decisions. And I think the third, the third major change that you're going to have is how do you fund these and from which buckets inside the business do you fund this? Because typically you've gone, this is sales, this is marketing, but it's not, it's in consumers. So, and your retailers are going to look for more money as are all the other media types. So you're going to need to be able to work out how you fund them and how you make decisions of whom and where to fund. Yes. And (laughs) that's the million dollar question, Dean, is should this media spend come from sales or marketing? I think it should come from both. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think you know the, the great thing about this retail media, the great thing about e-commerce is that the challenge is how we make decisions. So, yeah, what are we actually looking to do? And, you know, the important thing for us is, as brand owners should be which customers are we looking to attract and where are they? I think, you know, the customers that we're looking to attract can be anywhere. They can be on Amazon. They can be on our brand sites. They can be on retailers, omni-channel sites. They can be virtually anywhere. And are we there to meet them? Absolutely. Yeah, be where they are rather than be where we want them to be. Right, exactly. Yeah. One last question. I've got a couple more questions for you, Dean. There was some recent research from the Digital Shelf Institute about this halo effect of retail media, essentially that particularly Amazon advertising campaigns have an impact on in-store campaigns. And I'm curious if that's a phenomenon that you've seen play out in your experience. Yeah, I think it definitely is. I think there's, yeah, Amazon communications really, really strong. And a lot of people go there first, whether they shop on there directly or not, they do go there. And then it does impact both the in-store campaigns. And I have heard certain instances from from certain of my peers in Europe who've also said that an Amazon campaign has driven more traffic through to their D2C site, which mm. is quite interesting. So I think I think definitely the media value of something like Amazon, both an in-store and even other digital mediums can definitely be, be something that brands should focus on. Yep. 
And with that in mind, do you have a perspective on if we know that spent on Amazon can ultimately result in sales in store and in D2C channels, do you have a, a viewpoint on how to then allocate that spend out? Because a lot of the time Amazon spend is, is allocated to the Amazon channel and we see that sort of to the question of profitability tie back to just Amazon sales, but in reality these other channels are getting a boost. Do you have a view on ways to account for that phenomenon? Yeah, it's an interesting one because, yeah, as you say, a lot of manufacturers tend to look at that PL and in, in pretty much in isolation. There's the Amazon PL, there's the retailer PL, and well, you know, what we do, what we spend on each, we've got to account for where, where and how they generate the money. But I think the important thing here is to understand what the end user or shopper and consumer is doing. The, the fascinating thing, I think eMarketer had a piece on the latest Prime Day where they said, where else were Amazon shoppers shopping? And they were also shopping on Walmart. They were also shopping on Target and they were shopping on a number of different platforms and in quite high percentages. So I think you've got to look at that from a channel segmentation point of view inside a manufacturer and say, the end user may shop across any one of those and how do we get a consolidated view of what that looks like because yeah marketplace platforms i often call marketplaces the hypermarket of the internet amazon's like the hypermarket of the internet and if you're spending with a retailer are you going to worry about the hypermarket versus the supermarket as two separate entities probably not so you should try and look at them as a consolidated view to make sure that you're attracting the right type of shopper because they can shop on Amazon today and in-store tomorrow. Yep. Yep. That makes total sense. Okay, Dean, two sort of rapid-fire questions for you. One is what's exciting you right now in the world of e-commerce? Social commerce. I find social commerce so exciting. I think... The blending of media and commerce is the next big frontier and it takes e-commerce from being just a replication of the catalog to being something different and complementary to the in-store world. And I think that's a really exciting space to be in. Can you give us some examples? Yeah, certainly there's Amazon Live. They're trialing that platform and that's really yep. looking really exciting for their sellers. And I think what you're, you're also seeing is some events around this. So Curry's, who's a consumer electronics retailer in the UK, is actually doing live shopping events with their in-store teams, which is mm. really exciting. And they're demonstration type events. So I think it will suit certain categories yeah. where you need a lot more information. But I think that, you know, those are both really exciting approaches. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that come through over the next 12 months. Yep. I like it. And is there something that you've changed your mind about? Is there something I've changed my mind about? That's an interesting one. I've changed my mind about the long-term profitability of on-demand grocery. Hmm. I, I see so much money being spent in on-demand grocery and I initially believed that the business model was one that could be profitable. I'm questioning how much money is going in there and whether that's going to be profitable in the long term. 
Interesting. Well, this is a <laughs> this is a topic we'll have to come back to in a few years because as I sure feel like I've got a couple of things wrong there around Instacart and actually building their own micro fulfillment facilities for one. Dead wrong on that. So there's so many ways this could move and I think that it's a good good question around the economics of the business model there. I will bookmark that for a future conversation, Dean. <laughs> yeah, I think it's Instacart's journey there is really, really interesting. I think it's probably more about the manufacturers and them offering a solution sorry, to the retailers and them offering a solution to the retailers because some of the retailers just to invest in e-commerce is really, really expensive and, and yes. get their operations going. I completely, yeah, completely. The jury's out for me as to whether whether that's a big one for them or not. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, Dean, thank you so much for joining me today. Is there a place that you'd like listeners to connect with you and, and follow what you're up to? Certainly, you can follow me on LinkedIn. It's Dean McElwee, and there'll be a hashtag on there, Ecom with Dean. Love to engage with everybody on there and hear your opinions on what I post there and, and what others post. Excellent. Thank you, Dean. Well, I'll see you around LinkedIn. Absolutely. Thank you. Good to see you. <laughs>